So I've read quite a few books about climate change over the past year. And for this morning, I want to share some highlights from just one book in particular, published by our own Beacon Press, which is owned by the Unitarian Universalist Association. To do more, let me share my screen with you to show you a few slides. So this book is titled Climate Courage, How Tackling Climate Change Can Build Community, uh, Transform the Economy, and Bridge the Political Divide in America. It's by Andreas Karalas, who is the executive director of Revolve, a nonprofit organization that promotes a shift toward clean energy. Now, I suspect most people tuning in for this sermon are familiar with the basic gist of our situation, the reason we need climate courage. And that's been summarized by one climate scientist as follows. It's warming. It's us. We're sure. It's bad, but we can fix it. Now, the extent to which we can, quote, fix the damage already done is subject to debate, but likely, I suspect we can agree that we should do as much as possible to avoid making the situation even worse. To quote Kate Marvel, another climate scientist, climate change, it's, it's not like a cliff we fall off of. It's a slope that we're sliding down, and there's no bottom to this slope. We're just going to keep sliding until we choose to put on the carbon brakes. But every inch of the slide that we don't seed is a victory. And the reason I wanted to invite us to spend some time this morning reflecting on Carlos's book, Climate Courage, in particular, is that he has a framework worth considering about how we can best motivate ourselves to put on those carbon brakes. He underscores that even though the situation is dire, despair is not enough. Despair cannot harness the power of long-term sustained action to address climate change and build a better world that we need. Despair is just going to probably overwhelm our human systems with fear and anxiety and shut us down. Instead, he emphasizes that to break through this stalemate that we're in, we need courage and hope more than we need discouragement and fear. So what does that mean specifically? Carlos points us to the potential for increasing numbers of people coming to see climate change as at least as much as an opportunity, maybe even more of an opportunity than it is a challenge or a burden, an opportunity to move even more rapidly than we already are toward a zero emission, renewable energy-based economy. The additional good news is that in so many ways, a green economy would dramatically improve our lives, our health, our communities, our society. Now, many of us in UU circles, we've been ready for a, some sort of Green New Deal for a long time. Some of you have been ready since the first Earth Day, more than 50 years ago in 1970. Some of you earlier still. Others of you have perhaps been ready since you first saw Al Gore's documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. That was more than 15 years ago now, in 2006. Unfortunately, at both those points, too many people weren't yet ready to listen, complicated by cynical bad faith actors intentionally spreading misinformation. But in more recent years, climate activism has become a bigger and bigger tent. We've seen 
the Pope, and a growing number of other theologically conservative religious leaders calling for climate action based on spiritual teachings. We've seen the Department of Defense list climate change as a top security threat. We've seen the clean energy economy become the fastest growing job sector in the country. So all of that is very good news and reason to embolden our courage and give us hope. The even bigger elephant in the room is that whether any specific person or group likes it, our current fossil fuel-based society, it just can't continue. It's clearly destabilizing our climate, destroying our ecosystems, not to mention that there's only a limited supply left of fossil fuels. This disposable, consumptive, throwaway economy which turns the earth resources into waste at increasing rates, it just cannot be sustained. I, I think so often whenever I throw something in the trash instead of the recycling, I think of four words that I heard from an environmentalist probably two decades ago. She told me, there is no away. You think you're throwing it away. There's no away. We just go bury it in the earth somewhere, right? There is no away. We need this, a clean economy that thinks about things through the entire life cycle of products. Along these lines, many of you have likely heard the good news this past week that after more than a decade of climate activism against the Keystone XL pipeline, the project was officially ended. That's great news, but it was also too long in coming. Fossil fuel companies, U.S. government officials, environmental scientists, we have plenty of records, have known for more than 50 years since at least the late 19, since at least the mid-1960s that our use of fossil fuels has been creating an existential threat through melting ice caps, rising sea levels, acidification of water sources, and significant changes in temperature. But we've squandered the past few decades with far too much avoidance and denial. As George Marshall wrote a few years ago in his important book, don't even think about it, why our brains are wired to ignore climate change. Climate change it's just tragically easy for we humans to ignore because it's a problem that's abstract, it's distant, it's invisible, it's disputed, and we've evolved to focus on things that are concrete, immediate, and indisputable. Think about a car out of control driving right at you. Those are the things our human bodies and systems have wired to uh, respond to. But the growing frequency of extreme weather events caused by climate change is feeling more and more like a car out of control driving right at us on a disturbingly regular basis. More and more people are noticing and growing concern that extreme weather, these previously described once in a century events, it's hitting people's pocketbooks because it's becoming a once in a mortgage event instead of a once in a century event and people want to do something. There are a lot of statistics that illuminate this growing shift in awareness, but I'll limit myself to two representative ones. Let me share my screen with you again to do so. Among U.S. citizens, 73% now say in polls that they believe global warming is happening. They're seeing these increasingly frequently um, weather events and uh, extreme weather events and similar factors. They're seeing the ice caps melting. 62% correctly understand that climate change is caused by humans. 
And while we can wish those numbers were even higher, I'm grateful to see them well over 50%. And even more important from the perspective of shifting toward a green economy, a large majority of registered voters, including 95% of Democrats and 71% of Republicans, support requiring utilities in their state to produce 100% of their electricity from clean renewable sources by 2050. Hopefully we'll get to 85% by at least 2030. Nearly two in three conservative Republicans, 64%, support this policy. It is really good news that 85% of registered voters support a shift to a zero emission renewable energy-based economy. So what might that mean specifically? According to a team at Stanford University in the United States, one likely formula is 50% wind, 45% solar. That's both onshore and offshore wind. 45% solar and 5% water. That includes hydro, geothermal, wave, and tidal. Now, these percentages differ state to state depending on the geography, but these are the overall averages if you um, compute for the whole country. This model also doesn't include any nuclear power, carbon capture, sequestration, biofuels, which other potential models do use. So how do we motivate ourselves to make this dream of a green economy into a reality by 2050? Speaking for myself, I've learned a lot from the more fear-based responses to climate change. I think, for example, of David Wallace Wells's powerful book, The Uninhabitable Earth, that we've explored in a previous sermon. But my main takeaway from Carlos's book, Climate Courage, is that an arguably more effective strategy to reach the most people may be not to emphasize the fear, as Wallace Wells does, but to emphasize the positive. We need to harness the same spirit that allowed us to launch the Apollo program, which achieved the monumental feat of landing a human being on the moon. That's wild, wild stuff. We can do hard things when we want to. Now, there's no guarantee that we will succeed as a species in mitigating climate change, but Carlos highlights many reasons to be hopeful. And to me, as I know is also true for many of you, this proposition is not abstract. I'm currently 43 years old. You can each adjust to what I'm about to say to your situation. If I'm fortunate enough to have somewhat average life expectancy, maybe live into my mid 80s or maybe beyond, I hope to see the mid 2060s. And that means I'm going to existentially experience what we as a species have or haven't continued to do in regard to climate justice. I want to look back and be able to say to myself, to people around me, to future generations, that I did all I could to ensure this planet has stabilized its climate at no more than approximately 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer than the ones our ancestors occupied. And regardless of our individual ages, most of us have people we deeply care about who will likely live into the late 21st century or these days into the 22nd century. People alive today will be living into the 22nd century. I feel, um, again, led to do all I can to allow future generations to inherit a beautiful as a planet as beautiful and full of vibrant and diverse life as the one I've been so fortunate to inherit. But of course, 
this movement is about so much more than me and however long I do or don't live. As many of you have heard me say before, the most important advice I can give you if you are feeling overwhelmed as one person trying to take on these huge systemic issues like climate change or any related social or economic justice issues, it's to stop being one person. Join a network of activists. We are stronger together. And in addition to the many um, national and international environmental organizations, there are a number of local organizations you can join, such as MAX, the Multi-Faith Alliance of Climate Stewards of Frederick County. There's more information on their website. You can see there right in the center, maxfrederick.org. You can see links on their website for their ongoing projects, what you can do, readings, partner organizations, and more. At the county level, I encourage you to pay attention, especially if you're in Frederick County, which not all of us are, but to the important work being done in the, by the Climate Emergency Working Group that's been authorized by the Frederick County Council, Mayor, and Board of Aldermen. It's really incredible that in 2020, we actually passed a climate emergency resolution here in Frederick County. I know many members of this congregation and I were all part of advocating to help get that group created at the county level. Here at UUCF, we also have members who are part of a climate change working group. So you can see that uh, envisionfrederickcounty.org slash climate change working group. Uh, I can get those links for anyone who needs them. Let me also paste them in the chat. So I'll paste two of those in the chat. So I'm going to everyone. So maxfrederick.org and the envisionfrederickcounty.org. So check those out, considering becoming more than one person. For now, as we discern the ways that you individually, that we collectively feel called to act courageously for climate justice, let's sing together a hymn that reminds us of this beautiful planet that is our motivation to act. Blue Boat Home. <laughs>